Welcome to Voices, a podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. Here, we're seeking to elevate the range of perspectives on the role of business in the world and in people's everyday lives. Hello, everyone. I'm Neil Wilkins, and welcome to this Voices podcast from the Institute for Human Rights and Business. My guest today is Archana Kotecha, who is speaking to us from Hong Kong. Archner is a barrister who, after time spent as a corporate lawyer in London, joined the UN Refugee Agency as part of their legal team before working with a variety of British-based anti-trafficking organisations. On moving to Hong Kong, Archner became regional head for Liberty Shared, again engaged in promoting measures to prevent trafficking and legal support for victims. She continues to be a strong advocate for the victims of trafficking and is recognised as a regional expert regularly advising various ASEAN bodies and specialist interagency teams in different countries in the region. Today we're going to be talking about her latest endeavour, the Remedy Project. Archna, welcome. Thank we're you. going to be talking today about access to remedy for migrant workers and remedy is clearly a vital but often forgotten pillar of the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Um, why do you think that is? Well, Neil, you know, if I can start by, by saying this, that the importance of remedy is to address violations that have taken place and, and to almost put them right to the best extent possible. But it's also an opportunity to learn from mistakes and to address those. So traditionally, the focus has really been on criminal justice mechanisms that are actually severely hampered by fractured rule of law, retaliatory action against workers, and various other asymmetries of power. And access to remedy is also quite affected the further down you go supply chains where, where you go, where you have really small to medium-sized suppliers. Now, this really leaves the non-judicial mechanisms, typically the operational grievance mechanisms that are designed by companies as voluntary um, sort of measures in order to identify and remediate issues. Now, the operational grievance mechanisms are usually designed in a manner that does not always best serve the interests of workers. And, and therefore, you know, it, it becomes, you know, one of those it's almost like dirty linen where it's left in the back, it's left unattended to, it's one of those mechanisms that nobody really wants to pay much attention to because it actually brings out the worst um, of the worst in, in its um, sort of, you know, running. And I guess, you know, from, from a slightly different perspective, remedy is so intimately linked to due diligence. If your remediation system is not good, it shows that your due diligence system is not good. And at the same time, if your um, due diligence system is not good, your remediation system will suffer too. So, you know, more recently, there's been so much focus on, on the ESG movement and on the protection and enforcement of labor rights in particular. This is really an opportunity to bring back um, remediation, remedial mechanisms, operational grievance mechanisms back on the table because they're an integral part of not simply uh, due diligence, but also respecting and managing labor rights. And to aid this process, you've developed a, a set of guidance um, uh, aimed at improving company um, business understanding of grievance and remedy um, for migrant workers and how this sort of practice uh, might be improved. Perhaps you could just sort of outline the guidance methodology that you've been working on. 
Sure. So, you know, given that the design of remedial mechanisms falls within the voluntary measures deployed by a company to manage risks and remediate grievances, we actually felt the need to put out a comprehensive set of principles and outline a process that includes the bare minimum standards all the way through to the desirable and higher standards. This was in recognition of the fact that different actors um, you know, have access to different resources and different capacities, and actually nobody should be put out of the position of having even a bare standards minimum um, grievance mechanisms. We also wanted to create a resource that would be accessible to all. So whilst it carefully considers the company's need for practicality and efficiency, it actually has as it, at its heart the enforcement and protection of migrant worker rights. And it's firmly rooted in the UN guiding principles, eight criteria for an effective remediation program as well. And I noticed, uh, well, the guidance outlines seven particular steps in a process that could be undertaken by an organization uh, who wish to establish a remedy program. And we'll look at those in a moment. However, going back to the point that you've just made, I notice in your guidance that there is an extra step. You, you actually start at step zero. Um, <laughs> why have you done that? And what is it that needs to take place in advance? Absolutely. And step zero was perhaps the most um, fun to really think through. Step zero is about building trust through the co-creation of the remediation program with the workers, their representatives, NGOs and trade unions. I mean, workers are unlikely to use a mechanism that they do not trust and that does not take into account their specific vulnerabilities, their needs and their issues. So this stage is also about education for workers on their rights and how the mechanism can actually be used to enforce and protect these rights. It's, you know, and, and if carried out with integrity and care, step zero then becomes a critical pathway to workers' effective engagement with the mechanism, as well as a platform, in a sense, for communication and advocacy um, with their employers. And I guess, you know, from, from the perspective of trust creation and ownership of the remediation system by workers are absolutely critical for the mechanism to be impactful. And this is the reason why we have step zero. And, uh, and this perfect feedback loop for, for companies and business um, as well. So, um, you know, clearly the key to a successful remedy process, as you've just said, is the need for a sense of buy-in from workers. But um, the guidance then goes on to outline seven steps um, that should form part of an effective process. Um, we, we haven't really got time to go deeply into all of those steps, but could perhaps you could just briefly give us an outline of what those seven steps are now. Sure, I'll just take you through a whistle-stop tour of, of the seven steps. So step zero we talked about is building trust. Step one is really about submitting and receiving the grievance. So making the referral pathways as clear and accessible as possible with entry points being multiple and in languages of workers. Step two is really about verifying the grievance. So here, you know, the need for clear, transparent internal procedures to verify the allegations. Step three is really about investigating and determining a response. And here, you know, the, the need for clear, transparent internal um, procedures. So designating, identifying or training personnel who are actually involved in investigations. 
it's really important at this stage to also have written guidance on the investigation process, to have a system of documenting and storing the decision, and of course, communicating the decision to the right parties. And you know, at this stage, it's very interesting to look at involving workers and external stakeholders in the investigations and verification process as well, um, as a way of creating further ownership and trust. Step four is about redressing the grievance. And here, you know, in designing the remediation action plan, it really is about ensuring specific and satisfactory remedies. So this will be, the remedies would be applied fairly consistently in a non-discriminatory manner, engaging with workers in actually determining the remedy and looking beyond compensation and repetition to uh, non-repetition of the offense. And that goes into looking at the underlying corporate governance issues that might have actually given rise to the problem in the first place. The fifth step is really about implementing and, and monitoring the remediation. And here we're looking at you know, following up with the worker, making sure the uh, appropriate documentation is in place, but also looking at different ways in which the remediation process itself could be improved in order to be more worker friendly and to have more engaged stakeholders. Step six is about closing the incident with the appropriate record keeping. And step seven, which is really important, is about incorporating feedback and evaluating the results. So here you would have an assessment and evaluation of the actual results of the remediation. Were these satisfactory? Um, you know, did they meet with expectations? Were there any challenges in actually creating the, the pathway or navigating the pathway? It's, it involves a review and update of internal policies. Perhaps as, a, as an outcome of the remediation, some policies need to be changed. And um, communication of the outcome of the remediation to other workers, also very important because that also helps to build trust. And um, adapting to the changes. So ensuring that you know where company policies need to change, that there is a timeline given and that there is a window within which those changes need to take place. And those changes need to be very clearly communicated to the workers. And you know, I guess underpinning step zero to step seven is the, are the fundamental principles of non-retaliation, non-discrimination and confidentiality. And really throughout the, the principles, what we really try to do is to find ways and means of reducing the asymmetries of power between workers seeking to navigate the system and their employers. Um, can you give us some examples of why that might be important? Sure, so in, in some sectors generate particular, very specific vulnerabilities. So, you know, for example, they have particular features, remoteness, very poor access to migrant workers, or the extensive use of sub-subcontracting practices that would really necessitate careful consideration when designing a remediation system. So it's well and good to have your overall principles and to have an overall idea of what you need, but the, the tailoring and the customization and going back to step zero and working with workers is really important. Also the legal framework, access to courts or judicial mechanisms and legal remedies is also an important consideration when you're designing a non-judicial mechanism that is designed to complement the judicial mechanisms. Migration corridors and features of exploitation may vary sometimes from sector to sector, from one jurisdiction to another. And again, these need to be carefully thought through when designing the mechanism. And referral networks and, and referral um, 
support and, and availability of uh, services might also vary from one location to another and from one sector to another. And it's very important when designing the remediation mechanism where you, know, you may potentially need to refer someone to full support, you would need to be very mindful of those when you're actually designing the mechanism and the different pathways as well. Right. And um, Archna, finally, how do you want the steps that you've produced to be used? How do you want the guidance to be used? What are your plans to promote it? I mean, we ideally like the guidelines to provide an important first step for companies to really evaluate potentially an existing program so that they could think about bettering it and, and perhaps build on existing steps. We also think it could be a useful tool for workers, for worker representatives to advocate for better standards um, in companies that they're already working for that already have grievance mechanisms in place, but that are not particularly suited to the workers. We also think that for those considering putting in place a system, this could be very useful guidance in terms of you know, the bare minimum and, and what they should be aiming for. And industry bodies that already have um, their own grievance mechanisms could perhaps benefit from looking at this with a, with a view to raising their own standards in terms of what they're, they're providing. Um, in terms of what we plan to do to, to promote, we, as you know, this is a joint publication with IOM. So we've been engaging and we plan to do a lot more engagement with IOM Crest uh, private sector clients in order to really um, get to a large cross-section of um, corporations. We, uh, the guidelines are now on the Business and Human Rights Resource Center as well. We've conducted a number of stakeholder consultations and sharing and plan to do a few more in the near future, especially in, in Malaysia and across the sectors um, of palm oil and electronics. And we're actually uh, in conversation with industry bodies in the relevant sectors as well in order to see what they can do to promote these standards alongside their own standards as well. So, you know, it's a full agenda. And I guess from the, from the part of the Remedy Project, um, we have been working on building a remediation mechanism, which is actually a framework that brings to life all of these uh, principles. And our wish will be to see um, that mechanism piloted in the near future in order to show that the principles that we've written about can actually really uh, be, you know, brought to life in, um, Remediation mechanisms. Great. Archna, um, thank you so much for your time today. It's, it's been really interesting, and we do hope that the guidance uh, receives the attention um, it deserves. And more importantly, as you've suggested, is used by uh, practitioners supporting those um, sort of seeking justice. You can find details of the guidance at the remedyproject.co, and we will also be putting a link to the guidance on the IHRB website. If you've enjoyed this IHRB Voices podcast, you may wish to subscribe to our feed, or you can sign up to our newsletter to receive all the latest news from the Institute and the world of business and human rights. Thank you very much for listening.